He's just kind of attaching it to the last two sermons that we've just heard where he says, listen, uh, yes, I am free in Christ, but more importantly, I am a servant. Or maybe a better way to say it is the implications of being free in Christ is that I am a servant. And so he starts this morning by reminding us that, listen, I am free, but I am, I'm just a servant. In fact, Martin Luther, not Martin Luther King Jr., but Martin Luther, the, the reformer, wrote this in his thesis, The Freedom of the Christian. He says, a, a Christian is a perfectly free Lord of all, subject to none. But hear this, a Christian is a perfectly dutiful servant of all, subject to all. And so because we are now in Christ, because we have crossed the line of Christ, because we are under the lordship of Christ, we are a servant of Christ. Meaning that we are now a servant to all. And so he reminds us of that and he says, so that I might win more of them. This is what he means in verse 20. To the Jews, I have become as a Jew in order to win the Jews. Right? But wasn't Paul Jewish? He was. He's just saying, listen, sometimes I have to be like a Jew Jew. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, sometimes you have to be like a black black. A white white. Like, you really have to go into that culture. That's what he's saying. He's like, no, I'm a Jew, but out there, there's some like some Jew Jews. And so to them, I will become like them. Why? So that I might win more. To those under the law, I have become as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, so that I might win those under the law. So he says, listen, there, there are some who are like super under the law. They're still driven by the law. Yes, they've given their lives to Christ, but, but they're still leaning to the law, hoping that, yes, if I continue to, to fulfill the law and believe in the law and obey the law, then I will be saved. It's like, no, no, no. That's not how it works. It's by grace and by grace alone. And so because of the grace, yes, we want to be obedient to the law, but it's, the law does not save us. And so Paul says, like, to them, I have to be like that. I have to be one who is under the law, though I am not under it. So he makes it clear that it's by grace and grace alone. This is how I enter into a relationship with Jesus. But he says, if I have to act as if I'm under the law so that I can enter into those spaces where they are, then I will do so. Why? So that I might win more. He goes on. To those outside the law, I have become one, as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. Again, he says, listen, there's some who are outside of the law. Some of them who are going, you know what, I, man, I, I don't believe all of this. I'm not going to follow all of this. Yes, it's Jesus, but like, do we still have to do this? This isn't culturally relevant anymore. And says to them, then I have to be like that as well. Why? So that I might win more. To the weak, I became weak. Two Sundays ago, we saw this, that he was talking about uh, to the knowledgeable ones, that in your midst, there are some who are weak. Some who are still wrestling. Maybe they are young Christians. They've just come to faith. And so, yes, they love Jesus, but they're still wrestling with some things. And so he says, well, to them I have become weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people. I have become. This is the ministry of I have become. Now, now Paul doesn't just say this. He actually lives this. If you go to the book of Acts and you watch Paul's ministry, you actually get to see that Paul, Paul isn't just saying this. 
he practices what he preaches. See, when Paul would walk into a city or into a town, he would ask two questions. Where are the synagogues and where's the marketplace? Where is the church and where is the the educational institutions that want nothing to do with Jesus? Where, Where are these two places? And then he would make his way to both of them. He would go to the synagogue, to to those who are under the Lord, to those who believe in the Lord, to those who cry out to God and say, listen, listen, this is great, but there's, there's a few places where you've missed it. And how he would unpack the gospel to them is that he would draw from the Old Testament. He would become, I have become. He would draw from the Old Testament because he knew these individuals loved the Old Testament. They loved the Word of God. And so he says, listen, let me use this thing that you love to unpack the beauty of Christ. Go look at it. He does it over and over and over again. He would say, listen, I know you know David. You love David. Well, let me unpack how Christ fits in all of this. I know you love Abraham. Great. Let me show you how Christ fulfills this. I have become. And then we're told that many would come to Christ. Many would come to faith because because Paul would enter into those spaces with incredible humility, seeking to become, to become so that he might win more. After that, he would make his way to the marketplace. He would make his way to, to those who wanted nothing to do with God, and then he would become as well. He does it beautifully in Acts chapter 17, verse 28 to be specific. He shows up to this place called Mars Hill. He looks around. There gathered, there were these philosophers, incredibly intelligent men. He gathers there and he sees these statues around them. They're having these debates and he looks around and he he notices that there's one that's not marked. It has no name. It's, It's on there. It's inscribed to the unknown God. And he sees an opportunity. He says, listen, I I have to become. In order to engage, I must become. And so he quotes from a poem. Acts chapter 17, verse 28. Go look at it. He quotes a poem. He actually takes two poems that were dedicated to Zeus, right? The Greek God, I believe he's, he's Greek, right? Dedicated to him. He takes those, not saying, listen, okay, uh, I'm going to compromise the gospel and use this. No, no, he doesn't do that. He says, how can I use this poem that they love in order to share the gospel? And so he does that. And at the end, we're told that some came to faith. I have become. Paul didn't just preach this. He practiced it. He, He believed in it. I have become. Why? So that I might win more. Guys, this is something that we have to understand. This is something that we have to do in order to engage the world around us. Don't compromise. I'm not asking you to compromise, but I'm I'm asking you to be learners, to engage with intentionality, to study so that you might become... I mean, think about it. So Paul rocks up to this place. Here are these Greek philosophers, these intelligent individuals. They look at him. Paul probably looks like a Jew, and so he shows up, and they're like, well, we're not going to give him time of day. I mean, here he is. He's probably going to tell us about his God, and okay, this is going to be interesting. And so he shows up, and he begins to quote one of their poems, breaking down the barriers, 
I mean, and think about it for a moment. Scripture doesn't say this, but, but this is what I think. In that moment, I'm sitting there not wanting to hear from him. He quotes something that I love and something that I cherish, something that belongs to me, to my culture. I'm like, no, hold on. How does he know that? How does he know this poem? This individual took time to, to learn and to understand me and my context and my culture. Maybe let me lend him my ear. This happens all the time. It happens all the time. Let me be a little bit more specific. Let me speak to our context, to us being a transcultural church, because if we are to be a transcultural church, we have to understand the ministry of I have become. And so let me say this to my white brothers and sisters. It's about to get real. You want to become to your black brothers and sisters? Just... Small steps, small steps. Just learn to pronounce the name correctly. You, you want them to go, hold on, let me, let, me, let me listen to what you have to say. Black brothers and sisters, you guys can agree with me. You, we're blown away by, by our white brothers and sisters who, who can speak maybe just a little bit of our language. We're just like, eh. And then? Well, maybe for a moment I wanted nothing to do with you. Now I'm like, okay, let me... Let me listen to what you have to say. Because you have taken time. You have taken time to, to try to understand me. Guys, the name thing, I know it sounds ridiculous, but it is powerful. It is powerful to, to go from Cebu to Sbu. Powerful. You will have my ear. And I know it's hard. I know you sit and you're like, oh, but some of these names, like... Is that, like, is that an X in the name? Like, <laughs> I struggle. I struggle. But, but to take the time, I have become. Why? So that I might win more. My black brothers and sisters, thought I was going to leave you alone. <laughs> There's something, not everyone, and I know I'm generalizing, but but there's something about us, and, and, and yes, I know history and our narrative plays a role into that, where sometimes we'll look to, and let me be specific about my white brothers and sisters, the Afrikaans white brothers and sisters, where we'll look and we'll, we'll feel like, man, there's nothing really good about that culture. So we're, we're just not interested at all. Because of history, because of what's happened, like we just feel like, I'm, I just, the minute I hear it, I'm out. But if we are to live out the ministry of I have become, we first got to acknowledge that they are created in the image of God just like you. And that in that culture, there are many beautiful things, beautiful things that display the beauty of God. And so who are we? Who are we to completely disregard are there things in there that need to be redeemed? Are there things there that don't glorify God? Yes, just like ours. God took me out of my context and put me in an Afrikaans church for two years. What I learned there was incredible. Yes, my Afrikaans went up a little bit. But outside of that, I went on a camp. I've shared this story before. I went on a, a camp over the weekend where we went hunting. There were people there who bought guns. I was, I was the only black person there. I, I was a little nervous. 
That's a bad joke. I apologize. <laughs> but, but we went hunting, and, and we, we had to camp outside, and, and I had to sleep on a, a concrete slab. It was real. <laughs> My mind, I was like, no, our people have come so far. Why are we going backwards? <laughs> but what I learned over that weekend... It was a men's camp. It was a, a men's getaway. And so fathers and sons went away. And, and, and for them, it was almost like, no, we've been doing this our entire lives. It was almost like just another weekend. You know, things have gotten busy now that I'm working. Maybe I don't live with my family. So this is a bit of a treat. But it's something that we have always been doing, kind of going out camping. And it wasn't so much about the camping and the hunting and the eating of meat. It was more about just hanging out with my dad. I mean, to hear some of those stories, uh, like many of my, my Afrikaans brothers will go, yo, I, I learned how to drive from my dad. The driving school was just kind of part of like, uh, government says I've got to do it. And, and then if I listen to my, my black brothers, my black brothers and sisters, that, that's not the story. Is I had to struggle at this driving school for months. There's, there's something beautiful about what the Afrikaans culture does in family that I think we can learn from. And so if you enter into a room and, and you begin to talk a little bit about the culture and the context, they might lend you their ears. Because in that moment, they're going, you took time. You took time to understand me and my culture. I have become I know we talk a lot about black and white. Our colored folk in the room are always kind of like, man, what about, like, we're here. <laughs> what, I've, what I've learned from our, our, our colored folk who I love and cherish is sometimes it's just, just ask, asking them, like, yes, okay, so what is the black perspective? What is the white perspective? And then we generally just leave it as that to stop for a moment and say, hey, listen, what's the colored perspective? How do you guys think through this? When we talk about culture, what does this mean for you? Just that simple question, a desire to understand, a desire to, I have become. I've seen them feeling loved and cherished and appreciated. And it allows us to engage. Why? So that we might win more. That none of this is just for the sake of, uh, it's cool to be a shapeshifter. No, 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 no. It's so that we might win more. Paul says here, I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. Now, if you're reading this properly, or at least if you're reading it like me, I would go, whoa, 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 whoa. This is a lot of hard work to I have become. Guys, for those of you who've kind of entered a little bit into it, it's a lot of hard work. I have become the CrossFitter. Why? So that I might win more CrossFitters. It's hard work. It helps that I love CrossFit, but it's hard work. I have become the black middle class so that I might win the black middle class. I have become the white middle class Afrikaner. Why? So that I might win the black the white middle class Afrikaner. Can you just see how complex this is? And as you continue to double click it, I'm hanging out with guys who always say, man, that's a wash. That's a, that's a what? <laughs> what is that? Okay, I have become. Now I'm like, yeah, that's a wash. 
Sometimes my wife will be like, do you even know what that means? No, I'm just using it <laughs> so that I might win more. But Paul here says, I have become all things to all people that, I, that by all means I might save some. That's where I would kind of go, you know what, Paul, wait, this is hard work for some. Just for some. What Kenny shared here in the cellar, just for some. Ah, but Paul, it'd be a different story if he said, no, we'll win all of them. I have become all of this so that I might win all of them. He says, no, to win some. See, Paul acknowledges that, listen, as much as he may want to become this great shapeshifter, he's not going to reach everyone. He's not going to reach everyone. And so in that one line, we see the beauty of the community. That this is going to require all of us because if you're winning some and you're winning some and you're winning some, look under your chair, you're winning some. We're all winning some. Guys, we could Oprah this thing. But again, this is how God has uniquely designed us. He has made us for community. He has made us for fellowship, that this is a community effort. So you win some, and you win some, and you win some, and that we celebrate together. The ministry of I have become is not for one person. It's not the responsibility of one person. It's for all of us, for all who cry out to Jesus as Lord and Savior. I have become I do all for the sake of the gospel that I might share with them in its blessings. I do this for the gospel, not for my own account or my own accord or my own benefit. It's for the sake of the gospel so that I might share in its blessings with others. All of us sharing together in the blessings with others. The ministry of I have become requires us to be shape shifters, but not just that. Not just that. We're called to be athletes. Paul says if you're going to live this thing, if you're going to understand that yes, you've been given freedom and that you are free in Christ and that this freedom, you are to use it to serve others for the sake of the gospel, not only will you have to be a shapeshifter, but you're going to have to be an athlete. It's going to require you to be an athlete. He says this in verse 24. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run? In a race all the runners run. That if you are a Christian, you're in the race. That there are no bench warmers in the body of Christ. You're either in the stands or you're on the field. You cannot sit on the bench. And I know for many of us, we'll read that and we'll understand it and we'll amen it. And so we'll say it with our mouths that, yes, I know I'm in the race. But our lives... Our lives are far from it. And so we're called to run. Paul Paul says that if if you are to serve God, you are called to run. That you're in a race and you're in a lane. You're in a lane and you're running this race. And this race is both individual and communal. It's both individual and communal. You see, individual in that God has called you to your race. There's a race that you're running. I run into so many Christians who, who have this neck problem because they're running like this. Like, I wonder what's happening over there. Why, why, God, why, why is she married and not me? God, why does, why does he have that blessing and not me? And so you're running the whole time like this. 
instead of running the race that has been set before you. God has uniquely prepared that race for you. And so this race, yes, is individual, but it's also communal. It is also communal. That in this lane are other believers, other brothers and sisters who have crossed the line of faith. And so we run together this race that has been set before us. Hebrews 12 verse 1 says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, who are these witnesses? See, I believe that Scripture should interpret Scripture. And so think about it. This is Hebrews 12 talking about these witnesses. What's the chapter that comes before Hebrews 12? Hebrews 11. Many of you would know it as, as the, the hall of fame. Those who have gone before us, men and women of faith who, who we love and we cherish because they put their faith in God. And so the writer of Hebrews writes all about all these individuals. In faith, this is what they did. In faith, this is what they did. In faith, this is what they did. And then he starts chapter 12 by saying, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us, lay, let us also lay aside every weight and sin, sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Let us run with endurance the race that has been set before us, saying that this race is not only individual, but it's also communal. And that at the end of your race, when you die, or maybe if Christ comes before that, that you join this great cloud of witnesses who now stand and cheer you on. They cheer the body of Christ on because they have run their race. They have been faithful. They have endured. And so now they get to stand and they cheer on the body of Christ and so if you are a Christian, if you are to be a servant of the kingdom of God, you must understand that you are in a race and that you are a runner. He says, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize, so run that you may obtain it. Only one receives the prize. See, the, the Bible talks a lot about a prize or a reward. Sometimes it talks about it like a, it's a crown that you will receive. Because you've remained faithful. Now, this isn't talking about Jesus. Listen, you come to Christ and you receive Jesus. You don't have to do anything to receive Jesus. Or it's just simply putting your life in his hands. So, so he's not talking about this. He's not talking about salvation. So then what, what prize is this? What reward is this? The Bible doesn't really go into detail about it. But all I know, all I know is that you're going to receive it. And so think of it like this. It's like a bonus. Many of you in corporate understand what I'm talking about. Sometimes at the end of the year, you receive a bonus. This prize or this reward or this crown that is often spoken about, it's like a bonus. Yes, you receive Christ in his fullness and all things made perfect. It's beautiful and glorious. But then he also says you're going to receive a bonus. Those in government understand it as the 13th check. They're trying to trick us in the government. It's only 12 months. We know it's a bonus. Why are you calling it a 13th check? But you're receiving that extra, something extra. I don't know what it is, but I'm pretty sure it's going to be amazing. And so Paul says you should run, run as one who desires to receive the prize. Verse 25, every athlete exercises self-control in all things. In all things, we exercise self-control, that we are to be disciplined. That if you are an athlete, you are to be disciplined. 
exercising self-control, that as an athlete, I have a lot of friends who are athletes, and they, and they say this all the time, that they have to be self-controlled. They, they can't always eat whatever they want to eat. They can't stay up as late as they want to stay up. They have to exercise self-control. They have to be disciplined. If I desire to win the prize, if I desire to compete and to do well, I must be disciplined. I must exercise self-control. And so for those who do this, you know that it's tough. Again, lending from the world of sports. Many athletes will tell you that it's tough to exercise. I want to go out and hang out with my mates as late as I want. But I can't. So this is challenging and this is tough. It's the same for those who are in Christ. We have to exercise self-control. We can't just do whatever it is that we want. We can't look to those who don't know Jesus and go, well, man, I, but I'm free. Why can't I just do that? I want to I indulge and I want to enjoy. We don't get that. We have to exercise self-control, and it is tough and challenging because it's countercultural. It goes against everything that culture says. We must exercise self-control in our finances when culture says, no, listen, you made the money. You can do whatever it is you want with the money. We exercise self-control in how we handle our bodies, in our relationships, in sexuality. When culture is saying, no, you should do what it's all about you. You do you. You enjoy yourself. Exercise self-control. We must be disciplined, and it is tough and challenging. And so, because it's countercultural, expect persecution. I run into so many Christians who think, "Listen, I cross the line of faith. I give my life to Jesus, and then it's just awesome." If you're living for the kingdom, expect persecution. Jesus says, "If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you," because everything that we do is countercultural. We don't handle our money the way the world handles its money. And so expect persecution when you're telling people, no, you know what, I, I give generously to the kingdom. What? That's dumb. Why would you do that? But you know, let's go for the weekend. Expect persecution. I, I believe that marriage is between one woman and one man, and that we're to remain faithful to one another. What? That's, That's so old school. Like, come on, man. Who wants to hang out with you? You're boring. Expect persecution. Expect challenges. But this is how we're to respond to them. James chapter 1, verse 2 to 4 says, Consider it great joy. Consider it great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Why do you need endurance? Because I'm in a race. I'm in a race. As a Christian, I'm a runner, and so I need endurance. And so when I'm challenged and when persecution comes and trials come, consider them a great joy. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. And so we are called to be athletes in that understanding that we're in a race. If you're a Christian, you're in a race. There are no bench warmers in the body of Christ. That we're to be disciplined because we're exercising self-control. But the last thing, the last thing that we see in verse 26. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. 
I do not run aimlessly. Not only are we in the race, not only are we to practice discipline, but we're to understand that we have purpose. An athlete has purpose, that there is intentionality in everything that I do, that this is connected to I have become. Why do I become? Because I'm intentionally trying to reach people so that I might win some. So I don't, I don't run aimlessly. I don't box as one beating the air. Again, I run into so many people who are like, I, I, mean, I don't know what I'm doing with my life. I don't know what my purpose is. And I get what you're saying. I, I understand what you're saying. You're trying to figure out what the next two to three years are actually mean for you. But you have purpose. You have purpose. And your purpose is to serve the kingdom of God in the sharing of the gospel with others, those who look different to you, not just to those who look like you and vote like you and think like you, but those who are different from you. And you don't have to go that far in one of the most diverse countries in the world. You don't have to go that far to find someone who looks different to you. So I have to become with great intentionality because I have purpose. I'm not just aimlessly running. I got my ticket to heaven, so I'm just kind of run wherever. No, I'm in a race. I have joined others. I have joined others who are on mission, intentional mission. I do not box as one beating the air. What a waste of energy it is to beat the air. Have you seen those videos? Um, pray for me, because depending on what you think about those videos, I might need y'all's prayer. Um, but I, I like to watch these videos where um, someone's bullying someone, it's backyard of, of a house or a school and, and this big guy comes out and he's like he's got these moves he's like beating the air you can see like oh it's about to get real and this is like little kid just kind of looks at him takes a step bah! <laughs> thanks for coming lights out see in that little kid there was intention that wasn't the great it's not the best way to parent your kids that's not what i'm saying Though if your kid tries to bully mine, it will end badly. Um, Sometimes we're like that boxer. We look good beating the air. We look good beating the air. It's like, oh, but I'm a leader of this. And I serve this and I'm over here. It looks good. Until it's time for you to get in the ring. And then we quickly realize that you're just hot air. You're just hot air. So Paul says that that is not who we are called to be. That we have intention. We have purpose. And we're athletes. Verse 27, but I discipline my body and keep it under control. I discipline my body and I keep it under control. Being an athlete is incredibly difficult. See, many of us, we, we love Usain Bolt because we get to see him run 100 meters under what, nine seconds now? But we don't see the training that he does during the week, how he gets up early in the morning and labors, his strict diet and how he keeps to it, making sure that he gets enough rest. We don't see that. And so for many of us, we we look at our heroes and, and we see the nine seconds and we're blown away by the nine seconds forgetting that it took a lifetime to get to those nine seconds of beating one's body 
of keeping it under control. And so I'm saying to us that if, if we are to be on mission, if we are to join God on His mission, it's going to require that from us. Stop desiring the nine seconds and start asking questions about the lifetime that it took to get to the nine seconds. The labor and the intentionality and the difficulty and the challenges. The constantly asking the question, how can I become? How can I become? Why? So that I might win some. God says, great, you're, you're on mission. You want to be a shapeshifter for the sake of the, the kingdom. This is great. This is what it's going to require. This is what it's going to require. Not just to show up on a Sunday and to, like guys, anyone can show up and make coffee. And I'm incredibly thankful for those who do. Anybody can show up and work on the sound system. And I'm incredibly thankful. Anyone can show up here and sing. Well, not anyone, but you understand where I'm going with this. But it's those who wake up every day and fall to their knees and cry to God, thanking Him for the very life that they have, thanking Him for the gospel. It's those people who open up the scriptures and say, God, I want to know you more. I am desperate for you. It's those who are praying for their colleagues and their family members and their neighbors regularly. I am not perfect in this. I am in desperate need of accountability for this. But don't see this and go, gosh, this is, man, yeah, that's, that's what I desire. Desire the lifetime of beating one's body and making sure that it's under control, under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Because only then will we become true, athletic shapeshifters for the sake of the kingdom. Now, I do this every Sunday where I preach the message and then I go, okay, cool, so how do we do this? Y'all should know this by now. You know where I'm going. How do we do this? Well, by looking to our great example. Looking to the ultimate shapeshifter. Looking to Jesus who put on flesh. He became. He became. Why? So that he might reach us. A beautiful example, a beautiful example of how we are to live. Gave up his freedoms. I said this two weeks ago. It's crazy when you think about it that the creator and sustainer of everything that we see became a baby. Became a baby. Much like some of the babies that we see here who need their parents, that if they were left to their own, they would die. And he humbles himself and he says, I will become, I will become, I will lay down my freedom so that I might win these people. And he was incredibly disciplined. You want to talk about an athlete? This was a man who kept his eye on the mission. There were many moments where he could have gone, you know what, the heat is too much, I can't. Many moments. He could have allowed Peter to continue to wield his sword while he makes a quick getaway. He could have said in, in front of Caesar, in front of those that were persecuting him, okay guys, listen, I made, I made a mistake, I actually take it back. It's actually not what I said, it was misunderstood, I was misquoted. No, he remains 
silent because he's got the mission on his mind and his heart. Incredibly disciplined. Many times where Jesus could have been angry. Like, I'll read it sometimes, I'll be like, ah, Jesus. Like, I would have handled it differently. Like, I know better. But he applies grace and patience. He loves. See, we exchange hate for hate, hurt for hurt, pain for pain. Jesus is countercultural. He takes your hate and gives you love. He takes your bitterness, your anger, and he gives you grace. Incredibly disciplined. And so we are to look to Jesus as our example, but then also as the one who will provide the very strength that we need to do it. And so Paul says, listen, guys, I may be this individual I have become. I have become to the weak. I've become weak. To those under the law, I become as one under the law. Outside the law, I, like, I become all these things. And we, we stand back, we're like, oh, Paul, you're amazing. He's like, no, 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 but I want you to know that I do this because the ultimate I have become gives me the very strength that I need to do this. And that is our response. That is our response. When we wake up in the morning and we're going, man, I've got to show up to that transcultural church that person who's going to say this thing and it's going to irritate me and like because they don't understand or whether you're going I'm waking up and I'm like I'm filled with shame and like I just I know that I'm going to be misunderstood and I know, but you call on the one who gives the strength to allow us to do this we call on the one who gives us strength and allows us to do this the ultimate shapeshifter the ultimate athlete and we run the race to win it. But here's the really cool thing. It's already been won. And so we run from a place of victory. How confident does that make you? We run from a place of victory. The race has already been won. And so we're just running so that we might clock in at the end and hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done, good and faithful servant. My hope is that we are good and faithful servants. Those willing to lay down our freedoms for the benefit of others, for the sake of others, so that we might win some. That is our hope. That is our vision. And that is why we do what we do. To hear those words when we clock in at the end. Well done, good and faithful servant. Let's pray. And so, Lord, we come and uh, we ask that you, again, would do the work that only you can do. We come as your people, as your children, as your servants. We come knowing that we have your ear, that we have a seat at the table, that we are no longer orphans, but we are now children. We are no longer in the dark, but we're now in the light. We've been brought into the light by our Lord Jesus Christ. And so I'm asking for strength. I'm asking for strength. We're only in the fifth month, but it feels like we have labored a whole year. That This is challenging to be in a community with people from all walks of life who think differently and vote differently, different opinions, asking that your grace would be the very thing that unifies us.
that brings us to our knees and reminds us that we are in desperate need of you. And that we would look to one another left and right and and call one another to the foot of the cross where our hope lies. And so Lord, as we sing this last song, I, I ask that they won't just be words on a screen, but that we would really think through them and ask ourselves, where are we in light of all of this? For some who don't even know you that maybe have been on the fence for a while, that this is an opportunity for us to lean in and to ask that you become the Lord of our lives, that we have run to all these other things hoping to find life and fulfillment and they have not delivered, they have not satisfied. There's an opportunity for us to look to the one who does satisfy. And maybe for those who have been on this journey for a while, that they've been running for a while and maybe just really tired or we've found ourselves looking left and right, stretching our necks, asking the question, why does my life not look like someone else's? Why do I not have what they have? That this is an opportunity for us to gaze and to look upon the beauty of the Lord, the author and perfecter of our faith. So would you do that, Lord? We, we love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Mm-hmm.